Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Part of somebody else. I'm sorry. be turning to the book of John. Surprise. Yes. Okay, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't forget this coming Sunday night, Evangelist Adrian Sanford will be here with us. So that will be exciting to have Brother Sanford. And then later in the month, uh, we have, of course, the overflow rally that's going to be taking place here on the uh, 27th. That is at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. So come out, please, one and all. I'm making a plea for one and all. It doesn't matter if you're 86 or 16. Come out and anything in between or over or under. Nonetheless, come out and be a part of that service in March. Uh, we're just actually less than three weeks away from Easter. I don't know if anybody's done the math yet, but we are. It's right here upon our heels. And so... Uh, a lot of exciting things. You may have noticed that the first two pews are reserved like for the youth, and that's totally fine. There was a conversation in class, and they said, if you will reserve it, we will come, or we'll sit there. And so they have been, they have been sitting there, and so I think that's great, man, if you want to, uh, you know, condition or, 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 you know, massage the idea of them setting up close to the front and reserving it for them, then I'll reserve it for them. I might reserve some over here for the elders or, you know, something else. I don't know. If reserving seats gets you in a spot, then I'll reserve it for you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, just, just so that's honorable. So we'll have those up for a little while for people to kind of get conditioned to that. And then we can probably take those down wherever you are, uh, Brother Alex, and then uh, go on from there. And we're not cheating anybody at sitting. If you sit normally toward the front, come over here and sit toward the front on this side. Just switch sides. It's okay. It's no big deal. Amen. And uh, such. So John chapter number 8 and verse number 37. Now, folks, listen to me. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. Someone says, you speak as a foolish man. No, I plan on getting through this whole chapter, the rest of this chapter tonight. All right? That doesn't mean I'm going to talk like the micro machine man or anything like that. And that predates several of the people in the first two pews. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. Starting with verse number 37. The Bible says, this is where we left off last week. I know, Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God 
were for, if God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. That gets us started tonight. This is a long dialogue between Jesus and the Jews. And I really hate to term it like this, but you could almost be viewed like this. It's just an argument, really. It's an argument between Jesus and the Jews. And I entitled our lesson tonight, Who's Your Daddy? Okay? <laughs> Who's your daddy? All right? And so let's look at this. this that was the argument. Was, oh, who's your daddy? Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, help us this evening. We love and appreciate you tonight, oh God. We need, Lord Jesus, your strength, your help, your enlightenment upon our hearts and minds. God, you're able to help us, Lord, this evening as we look at your word and let your word become alive to us. Lord, we know, God, there are words and phrases there, God, by which we can live and order our lives by and be successful someday, Lord Jesus, in making heaven our home. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Everyone say amen. So again, this whole discourse tonight in many regards, somewhat like an argument. So someone's interest should already be piqued because who doesn't like to eavesdrop on a good argument? <clears throat> there are in these verses and others that are to follow, there are some very accusatory statements uh, that are made. There are people in this discussion that go on the defense. It has all the components, if you will, of what I would deem an argument. There's a, there's a lot of different ideas and concepts and reasonings going forth that as you read it back and forth, it may be just a little difficult to follow. Uh, there are denials that are within here when one's been denied, uh, one's been accused, another denies uh, what they've been accused of. And there's been others that have attempted to reason away certain claims, just like a good, just like a good argument, amen, would have. And so, uh, again, it's kind of like we're eavesdropping on this little squabble between Jesus and the Jews. But Jesus, in verse number 38, he underscores right from, from the go, we might say, Jesus underscores the power of a father's influence. And he just makes it in the terms of a father. He, there's power of a father's influence. He claims that uh, both he, Jesus, and the Jews, that both of them say and they do uh, what each of their fathers had said and done. Uh, it's hard to escape the influence, really, of a father because as much as we hate it, we look at our individual lives. Young people know this well. Somewhere along the line, you're going to find a piece of mom there and a piece of dad there. Somehow their influences are going to be upon your life. And so Jesus was saying that in so many ways that what you say and do is reflective then of who your father is. That's what he was uh, coming about and saying. And so Jesus, Jesus knew because the Jews had already made mention of this once back in 33, he knew that they were Abraham's seed according to the flesh, all right? That if you could follow their family tree back far enough, you would come to Father Abraham, uh, being part of their pedigree and part of their family tree. And they had even told, they'd even told Jesus that, that they were Abraham's seed, and they reiterate that over and over again through this discussion or argument, dialogue, whatever you wish to call it. But here's the catch. Although they were, quote-unquote, Abraham's seed according to the flesh, they were not acting like Abraham. All right, they were not acting like Abraham. Uh, the Bible says, and Jesus brings this up more than once. He says, you all seek to kill me. 
He says, you're not acting like Abraham. Uh, those desires that you have to kill me are not mirroring the desires of Abraham, your father. Jesus will even later say to them in verse number 56, he will tell them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. So there's already a little contrast there. You all wanting to kill me? But Abraham was glad. He rejoiced to see my day. Day. And so there's a catch. They're, you're not mirroring who you say your father is. Because Abraham of the Old Testament scripture, if we were considered Jesus at his, his most basic element being a messenger of God, which he was, he happened to be God, but being a messenger to the people, Abraham of the Old Testament, he didn't reject the messengers that came to him. We have on multiple occasions that the angel of the Lord came to Abraham or he had visitation of messengers from heaven. And Abraham wasn't like showed them the tent door and said, get out. Or said, you can go get some food somewhere else. No, we find him oftentimes inviting them into his home, being very hospitable to them uh, and mindful of what they had to say. And yet here we have this messenger that's in, in the New Testament here, Jesus Christ. And these Jews who say that Abraham's their daddy uh, are not being open to what the messenger has to say. They're not inviting him in. They are treating him quite poorly and seeking to kill him. And so while Abraham showed hospitality, the Jews, on the other hand, is not giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. They're arguing with him. Uh, they are denying some of the very words that he speaks, and he's, he's given testament to him about himself and they're denying his very words and so they're not giving him any leadway here and so they seek to kill him verse 37 tells us they seek to kill him because his word and this is important his word has no place in them his word has no place in them he says in verse 37 ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you now remember from last week Remember last week we had the believers and we had the disciples and the believers are those that just that initial belief but Jesus didn't want to have them to remain as believers. He wanted to turn them into disciples but in order to come from a believer to a disciple you had to continue. The scripture said you must continue in his word, right? And so we have then disciples who are those who continued in his word but then we have those others that wanted to kill the Lord and had no place for his word. All right? They, they are those that, uh, the disciples were those that called him master. They are the ones that wanted to follow him as a pupil would follow a teacher. All right? Because they continued in his word. But then on the other hand, you have another grouping among them who has made no place for his word in their lives. And so they desire to kill him. All right. The Bible says this is a common uh, verse of scripture of Psalms 119 and verse 105. It says, thy word, everybody say word. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I like to couple that with what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 6 and verse 23. The scripture says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life 
All of that is tremendous. They're, they're providing light for our path. It's providing, if you will, some instruction for our way of life. Amen. Whenever we have the Lord and we have his word, all of those things are helps and aids to get us to where we need or plan and hoping to go someday, and that is heaven. But here's something I want you to remember tonight from this passage of Scripture, that a soul that is void of the word, this is very simple, a soul that is void of the word will seek to eliminate the heavenly and the holy in their life. What are you saying? Someone that is void of the word will betray that teacher-pupil relationship that they claim that they have in their life. Somebody that is void of the Lord word wants to kill the Jesus in their life. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not speaking right now in terms of, uh, uh, of a person, but I'm talking about everything that Jesus represents. You want to kill any notion of the Jesus in your life if you live your life without the word. Oh, Jesus. Whether that's consciously, subconsciously, whatever, there's that struggle to kill the Jesus in our lives. Alexander McLaren, he said this. He said, we are ignorant of our sins because we bribe our consciences. We drug our consciences and will not attend to the facts of our own spiritual being. In other words, he said, we don't want to take inventory because we want to dupe ourselves into thinking everything is okay, right? I can do, I can do this Jesus followership without, without this. Huh? I can live for God without this. You know, Psalms 119 is a very, and it's, it's one of the verse-wise, verse-wise, it is one of the longest chapters in the Bible. But Psalms 119 is a very great source on all of, all of the practices that one should give, uh, that they should give place to the Word of God in their life. Virtually almost the whole chapter is about the Word of God, about instruction, about commandment, about statutes, and how one should give place to the Word in their lives. Amen. And it tells us about the benefits and all of the good things that come about by having the Word a part of our lives. So you can read through that lone chapter and the inverse would be just as much as true. That whatever it says positively about having the Word of the Lord in our lives, that if we had no Word in our life or gave no place to the Word, then the opposite effect could be found likewise in our lives. So Jesus is alluding to the fact here that their actions, wanting to kill him, that's their actions, proves that they are the children of another father. You say your daddy's Abraham. He says, but I beg to differ. Your actions are telling that you, you are the children of another father besides Abraham because you are, you, you're not mirroring the same characteristics of the natural Abraham, all right? Abraham must not be your father because you want to kill me. He never wanted to kill the messengers. And so when we look at the works of Abraham of the Old Testament Scripture, uh, we understand that Abraham's works were those of faith. They were those of belief in God. They were those of obedience. Woo! The Bible says in James 2.23, and you can find this in various places, uh, various books in the Bible. The Bible says, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God. And that was spoken all the way back in Genesis 15. That Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So we have this father Abraham. One of his works was his belief in God. But Hebrews 11 and 8 says a little bit more. That by faith Abraham, this is the big hall of faith chapter of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, 
when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Everybody say, obeyed. Obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. The amazing thing about the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, is say, well, everybody says, man, it's about faith. All you got to do is have faith. But you read in all the instances as it goes through Isaac and it goes to Jacob and it goes through Sarah, all these different ones, by faith they did this, by faith that, their faith is always linked with some type of work. Their faith is linked with some type of action. It's like James said, faith without works is Mm-hmm. And so here's Abraham. His works were not only belief and faith, but obedience. And they're saying, our daddy's Abraham. Our daddy's Abraham. Well, do you have faith in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you obey? I don't need to do that all night, but that's important. Just believe. Just believe. Just have faith. That's the Kool-Aid everybody's drinking today. Just believe, just have faith. Where's obedience? Hmm? Where's obedience? And so the Jews, they're saying, you know what? The Jews are doing the deeds of their father just like every other person would. Meaning, we again, as I said from the beginning, we kind of replicate the attributes of our own father in our lives in some measure and in some way. But Jesus says, your father isn't Abraham. Literally by flesh, yeah, you trace it back to the family tree. But your father really isn't Abraham. Amen. He may be your father in the flesh. But Jesus begins to insinuate a little bit here that their activities and what they're really, quote, unquote, doing betrays the works of father Abraham. And so when he does that, The Jews refute all of this in verse 41. Jesus says in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. It kind of leaves it open-ended. They might be thinking, yeah, I told you Abraham's our father. He's got a different father in mind. (laughs) He says, yeah, you do the deeds of your father. They're kind of picking up a little bit on this insinuation. And they tell him, he said, but we we weren't born of fornication. He said, we have one father. Here they go. Even God. So they've switched now. From the physical fleshly plane of Father Abraham to the spiritual plane. God is our father. (laughs) And Jesus, he just goes for the juggler. He says, if God was your father, he said, you would love me. Because I proceeded from God. I came from God. Even more specifically, we can say he was God. He said, if God was your father, you would love me, but instead you're seeking to kill me. Hallelujah. So so what, what, what we do with Jesus and the life of Jesus and the commands of Jesus really starts to reveal if God is truly our father or not. That's what Jesus is cutting down the middle of the road here. How you react to Jesus, how you obey or disobey the commands of Jesus are really giving testimony about whether or not God is your father. Oh, Holy Ghost, help us right now, huh? Because that's just not a good 
That's just not a good plea for Jews. That's a good plea for Christians. Today, God's my father. Well, what are you doing with the commands of Jesus? What, 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 what are you doing with, with the life of Jesus? Look, if we will, let's continue on. We've got a lot of ground to cover, run, and try to make 100. John chapter number 8, verse 43. He says, following this up, why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? Here he goes. Oh, this is heavy. For ye are of your father the devil. Now that's bone. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not? Which of you convince me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not. Boy, I'm telling you, with this pretty straight-laced preacher we got on our hands, isn't it? And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> pretty straight-laced preacher we have on our hand. Because Jesus stops trimming the, the hedges and he just cuts down the bush right here. <laughs> He cuts down the bush. He says, you are of your father, the devil. We're Abraham, and then we're like, well, God is the father. He says, wrong, I'll tell you who your daddy is. You are of your father, the devil. He said, because the lust of your father, which the word lust basically means desires, the desires of your father, you do. So I don't see you doing anything that I've asked. He says, what you practice is what you praise. He says, you are of your father. And he starts listing. He starts listing the traits then of the devil. Look at it in verse 44. Devil, murderer, even from the very beginning. Devil abides not in the truth. Devil, no truth abides in him. So he don't abide in truth and no truth abides in him. The devil, liar. And father of lies. He says, let's go through the checkoff list. You've been trying to kill me. That sounds a lot like a murderer. You've been trying to kill me because I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> Ain't going to take none of that truth business, Jesus. That sounds a lot like the devil. And he says, for that matter, he says, I even shared with you my word, which John tells us, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. He said, and that word has no place in you. He just said that here in the scripture. That word has no place in you. That sounds a lot like the devil. Huh? We have all these, quote, unquote, devilish traits on these Jews. So he says, if I were going through the checkoff list, I would be more apt to say that the devil is your father than Abraham. That the devil is your father than God. Because you're acting more like the devil than you are. Amen. They're seeking to kill. The devil's been a murderer from the beginning. They don't want to have anything to do with the truth. Or at the very least, let's say it like this. At least they're selective with the truth they are presented. And even later in verse number 55, you know what Jesus calls them even later? A liar. So we have the whole, the whole Brother James profile of the enemy stacked through their life. 
your fathers. Your father is not God. Because those of God hears God's words. And you, you've refused to hear God's words. Those of God hears God's words, but you've refused to hear. John 8, verse 47, in the Amplified Classic. I didn't know, were we able to get that? We were. Whoever is of God listens to God. Those who belong to God hear the words of God. This is the reason that you do not listen to those words to me because you do not belong to because you do not belong to God and are not of God or in harmony with God. Other versions say you're not in fellowship with God. That's, that's strong stuff. Going on with verse 48. Just keeping track of time. Then answered the Jews. We got a reply, do we? This is a good argument. Look at it. This is, this is argumental material here. Look at everything Jesus has said. Now here they go. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? This is a great argument. You say that our father is a devil? Well, you have a devil. Is that not a great argument? Okay, someone's never had an argument, I guess. But, and uh, it's like if someone said, well, you didn't put the dishes in the sink, and then they'll say, well, you had dishes in your bedroom. Never mind. There's a correlation is what I'm getting at. You, 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 your father's the devil. Well, you have a devil. Don't you see that this is a tremendous argument here in Scripture? Amen. It's going to help somebody's marriage. No, I'm joking. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil. See what we have going on here. But I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. <laughs> and I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that I'm going to have a long section here of reading. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? This is a great argument. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. There he is, calling them liars. But I know him and keep his saying. This is so great. Amen. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. There's that little I am again. Coming up for the third time. Then took they up stones to cast at him. Remember, this all opened with stones at the lady with, uh, caught in the very act of adultery. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's break it down. Amen. Jesus was not just challenging. He wasn't challenging necessarily their, their physical fleshly descent. They did come from Abraham. But he is challenging their spiritual descent. 
And yet their misunderstanding here causes them to get a little accusatory too. They call Jesus a Samaritan. They say that he has a devil. All right. They may have called him a Samaritan because he went to Samaria to the lady uh, with the woman at the well uh, when it wasn't just proper for Jews to go frequent that place or have conversation with a Samaritan, but he did that. So maybe they're kind of hanging their hat on that toward him of being a Samaritan because of how he did not act indifferent to them as a people on his journey. Nonetheless, they harness this age-old tactic Again, of a very, very good argument. They're trying to one-up Jesus. They are. You know how it goes, folks. You know how it goes. You got to one-up the other ones. If they say something, you're like, raboom. Y'all have argued before. <laughs> if you say our, here he is. If you say our father's the devil, you, you have a devil. And it's like, so you want to go there, do you? <laughs> right? So you want to go there. So Jesus exposes this hole, though, in their thinking. He tells them, look at it now, in verse 49, I don't have a devil. I'm honoring my father. But you are dishonoring me. All right? I don't have a devil. I'm honoring my father, but you are dishonoring me. Case in point, if I had a devil... He's really, he's really, he's just sly. The reasoning is, if I had a devil, and you were children of the devil, like I say, you'd be honoring me. Because that's what you do, you honor your father. (laughs) But you don't honor me, because I don't have a devil. But you still acting like the devil's your father. Follow me closely here. Jesus came from God, all right? Jesus came, it's as the scripture describes. He came from God. He was God manifested in the flesh. Yet they said, remember their own words, God is our father. Jesus came from God. He was God manifested in the flesh. Yet they said God was their father. So Jesus is honoring the father, all right? not a separate person. He is honoring that spiritual aspect of his life. Jesus honors the Father, but the Jews did not honor him. You got to follow it. I know it's hard in Scripture. The Jews are not honoring him, Jesus, who is honoring. They both are attesting to have the same Father. You hear me? They both are attesting to have the same Father but they can't honor one another who supposedly have the same father. Supposed father. we got a problem on our hands. So Jesus goes on talking about, and he says several different things about how he doesn't seek his own glory. There's only one that seeketh and judges. He says several different things, but Jesus is not trying to put a feather in his hat, okay? He's not trying to walk the dog or anything like that. He's not, he's not trying to put himself forth as something great. <clears throat> He just wanted them to know, according to verse 54, that he was honored by his father, which the Jews said was their God. I'm honored by my father, which you say is your God. So what that means is this, meaning this, meaning that they're the Jews' father, the Jews' God, honored a man that they wouldn't honor. Honored a man that they wouldn't honor. 
They said, this is my father. It'd be like, it's like, this is my father. My father, honor Sean. Right? But then this Jew over here has the same father. Says, I don't honor him. He's not mirroring the character traits then of his father. Amen? He's not mirroring the character traits of his father. They're not acting like their father in that respect. So Jesus, again, is not saying that humanity, as we look at this, whenever he talks about Abraham and he talks about uh, those that would receive his words, they shall never see death. He is not saying that humanity will never die, but that they will, as he did in other places of John, but they will pass from death unto life. If they'll believe in him and obey him and keep his words. Because believing and obeying what he said, according to the gospel of John, leads to everlasting life. The Bible said in John 5 and verse 24, when he had another, you know, debacle with the Jews, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from what? Death unto life. And so when he spoke to them about you'll never die or you'll never be this, he's meaning that life doesn't stop at death. But he can give them life and even life more abundantly beyond death. Mm -hmm. If they will believe and if they will obey his word. And the scripture then, they're kind of, well, you're a liar. Abraham died, the prophets have died, all of this happened again. They're thinking the very literal terms of literal death. And then he goes on to tell them how Abraham was glad to see his day. Now, this, this, is, this is this big thing of, of God being a dual, dually a person and God, human and divine, all right? He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Well, you know, Abraham's been dead for several years whenever Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. But Abraham saw Jesus' day, Abraham saw the Messiah's day by virtue of what we would call a type and shadow from the Old Testament. Something that is kind of a shadow of what is to come or what was to happen. Whenever Abraham was commanded by the Lord to sacrifice his only begotten son on top of Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. He's going to sacrifice his own son. And in this moment of this whole progress of sacrificing his own son, and we'll look at scripture here in a little bit, how even New Testament scripture says that was a type. All right? He was being clued in into the day of the Messiah and what would happen with the Messiah, namely his death, burial, amen, and resurrection. What would take place? All of that was seen through what was happening with his son Isaac. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 17, by faith, here we are, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So it's talking about back to that Genesis 22 occurrence, Mount Moriah, Isaac, the only begotten. 18, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 19, look at this now, accounting that God was able to raise him up. And Abraham had that faith because he told those two servants at the base of Mount Moriah, we go yonder to worship, but we're going to return. Yet he knew what was to take place on the mount. He knew what the, 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 the asking was of him to do on that mount. 
And so accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure or a type. What are you talking about? You can go to Genesis 22, start reading through Genesis 22, and start making the parallels between that only son Isaac and Jesus Christ the Messiah. Because in Genesis 22, it tells us in verse 2 that the only begotten son of Isaac was to be the sacrifice. Well, we know it is the only begotten son of New Testament Scripture, Jesus Christ, that was sacrificed as well. We read that he was to be sacrificed. Isaac was on top of a mountain. We know that Jesus Christ was sacrificed upon a hill or a Mount Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. In the Old Testament, Isaac, the Bible says, the wood was placed on his back for carrying up the mountain. We know that Jesus bore his cross. Amen. Up to Mount Calvary. Amen. We understand in Scripture, according to verse 9 in Old Testament Genesis 22, that evidently Isaac willingly gave himself for the cause. The Bible says, yes, that Abraham bound him. But most people will even tell you today, scholars will tell you, that Isaac was around 37 years old whenever he was being bound. He's not a kid. His, dad, his father is around 137 years old. Who do you think has more strength? Who do you think has the ability? Isaac does. But he allowed himself to be bound. Christ could have called legions of angels to get him from the tree. But he stayed there willingly. Amen. There's no indication of struggle, amen, with Abraham and Isaac. And we don't see the struggle except the internal struggle in the garden elsewhere with the Lord Jesus Christ. What does, what does, what does Isaac say even to Abraham? He says, we have the fire, we have the wood. He says, but Father, he says, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? What are the words that Abraham tells Isaac? He said, God will provide himself a lamb. He received all of this in the Old Testament in a type. What are you saying? Jesus said to those, to those Jews, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He might not have been there at the very birth of the Messiah and all that played out in the Messiah's life, but he seen through the telescope of time, through a type of his own son, about a death that was willing on a mountain. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he was glad. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all, including Abraham and others, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but what? But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know what he's saying? He said these all died in faith. They did not They did not have received the promise but where they stood there were things that they could cast their eyes into the future and they could see the birth of a Messiah and a death and a burial and a resurrection and an answer to the problem that they were, oh my God. They could see and they embraced it and they were persuaded by Woo! He rejoiced to see the day and you're standing here in the day and you're not leaving any place for truth in your life and you're not accepting my word. 
Can I say it like this? You are a people right now with greater revelation, but with less obedience and less belief. Can I tell you, we even have greater revelation today than they did in that day. What would fault us to be believers and followers through and obedient? Someday Abraham and Isaac's going to stand in judgment with the rest of us. And because they could hold on and believe the promises as they see them in the future and we can't somehow grapple with them, having them in the present with a great revelation about what they are for our lives. I hope they don't testify before me. So they get real, you know. He's trying to crack, he's trying to crack the, the binary code on flesh and spirit, divine and human form here. And they say, well, how in the world is this possible? You're not even yet 50 years old. Of course not. Who knows his exact age at this time, but you know, about 33 and a half years he spent upon the earth. So he never was going to reach 50 in the flesh. So you're not even close to 50. How is this possible? It's true, he's not, he's not even yet 50 according to his flesh. But by his spirit, he's the ancient of days. On his father's side, he's the ancient of days. On his mama's side, he may be around 30 years old. On his daddy's side, he's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. On his mama's side, he was born in Bethlehem, and he's going to die on a tree. Yeah. But what died on the cross was not God. It was the flesh. God's not dead, as the old song says. He's still alive. Could you have seen, Jesus, could have thou seen Abraham? Just typical Jesus. Before Abraham was. Here we come with those two little words again. The covenant name of my God. I am. The Bible's so cool. It is. Because what, what just thrills me is that as it comes forth in our English Bibles is not that before Abraham was, I was. They don't say that. I like that. I like that it don't say that. It doesn't say before Abraham was, I am. I was. It says before Abraham was, I Jesus as a man subject to temptations like we are subject to all the ills and the hurts and the pains thirsting and hungering we see all that in the scriptures just like we are Jesus being a man he's subject to time on the flesh side like we are but whenever he said before Abraham was I am he dipped over into his father's side he went from time to eternity See, time is past, present, and future. Eternity is past, present, and future is all the same. So he says, before Abraham was, I am. See, as God, he was with the Jews right here in the present, what we would term the present, right now in this moment, having this little discussion with them. But while as a man, Jesus Christ, he was with them in this thing called present in this very moment as God. 
he was still back before Abraham ever existed. In that very moment. <laughs> oh, amen. God, eternity, folks, is past, present, and future. It's all in the same realm. That's the reason why when we look later in the scripture, a statement I oftentimes make, used to make when I evangelized was this, is that God uses time to reveal what he's already done in eternity. God uses time to reveal what he's already done in eternity. You say baloney, Brother McGee. No. That's how even in Isaiah, whenever Isaiah is prophesying, he says, the virgin shall conceive. Because she was already picked out. In the mind and the plan of God, it was though a deed done. That's how he said it's the lamb slain all the way back from the foundation of the world. Because in the realm of eternity, he had the answer when the problem before the problem that's how we read in John 17, we'll get to later in this study, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, that it is the flesh praying to the Spirit. It's the Son, if you will, praying to the Father. Amen. He's crying out, amen, unto God. And he says, now please note, this is high priestly prayer. Crucifixion hasn't happened yet. Garden, the garden, the whole garden of Gethsemane thing hasn't happened yet. None of this happened yet. But this is what Jesus says. I have glorified thee, speaking to God. I have glorified thee on the earth. He says, I have finished the work. What? I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What? Jesus says, right there in the garden, there, right there as he's praying, there is again no death yet, no crucifix yet, no, no burial yet. He says, I finished the work. Now, how is that so? When we read later in the accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, 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 the capstone thing, if you will, of the whole Calvary episode is when Jesus cries out, it is what? Right. Yet right here in John 17, as he's praying, he says, I finished it as though it's already done. Because that's Jesus again dipping over in eternity. That what needed to be done is already to be done concerning eternity. He's just going to use time to reveal what? Here's another thing. This is just stuff that just blows my mind. I know it's sometimes hard to grapple with the idea of past, present, future, and this eternity idea. But whenever you, huh? It is, isn't it? Is that what you said? Amen. <laughs> whenever you see all this stuff, look back in the Old Testament. Whenever there was the burning bush in the wilderness, and Moses takes a second look, and it says, Moses, Moses, and he goes to it. And even Moses attests to this fact because he was a desert boy taking care of sheep all the time, right? And he says, oh, I behold the bush. It was burning. But what does it say? It was not being consumed. It wasn't being consumed. And something that burns long enough, Brother Fred, there should be some type of consumption. But what happened in that moment, God, the eternal God, stepped into the bush. So it's burning without any elapse per se of time so it to be consumed. Because eternity had stepped in. I got to check this out. Most things burn up, but this thing's burning, just keeps on burning. That's what happens when eternity kisses time. Oh, that's just mind blowing, isn't it? My goodness. So he's, he's conveying all these things. And the chapter finishes out. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm almost on schedule. Throwing those few little extra things. You guys pulled them out of me, and it's your fault. The chapter finishes out a little bit because they caught a little bit what Jesus was saying here. They catch a little bit of the idea that he's claiming to be God 
which he was. So what did they do? They began to, let's find some stones, right? They are in the stoning business, I guess. They should have been masons. No offense, folks. They should, they're looking for stones, you know. Again, so they're going to they're gonna pick them up and throw them at Jesus. But once again, they pick up stones, but they are, listen to me, these people who are picking up the stones, the stoners are in no better position to stone Jesus than when they picked up stones to stone the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. They're really in no better position. I wonder if they picked up stones for that. Again, the Mosaic law prescribes stoning for the adulteress, but the Mosaic law also prescribes stoning for blasphemy. I, we'll run to an end. Give me five, seven minutes. That means 57. Leviticus 24 and verse 16. <laughs> and he, that, I'm having fun tonight. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord... He shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall he be put to death. Blaspheming. That's a, that's a hot-button topic, somewhat, because people are like, you oh, know, blaspheming the Holy Ghost, only unforgivable sin, blah, 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 blah. Right? Let's real, just real quickly, just look at what blaspheming really is. Years and years ago now, I heard Pastor Jeff Arnold, he was doing a series in the steps of that faith. It was like a 30-part series, and that made me feel good. Uh, but nonetheless, and he was doing in the steps of that faith, and he explained blasphemy so well that I'll share it with you here real quick as we, we move toward close. In Mark chapter number 3 and verse 22, <clears throat> Mark 3 and verse 22, the Bible says, The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, speaking of Jesus, <clears throat> He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils, Casteth he out devils. So basically they're saying once again that Jesus has a devil. And he cast out devils by the devil. Alright. Skip down to verse 28. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. So what is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? According to the scripture, and you can read the whole thing from 22 to 29. But what these individuals did, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, and this is what Pastor Arnold explained, it was so tremendous. He said, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is when you attribute the working of God's spirit to a devil. Because they were saying, you have a devil, Beelzebub, the chief of the devils, and you're casting out devils, which was a work only of God's spirit, by the devil. So they were attributing the work of God's spirit to a devil. So here, again, the scribes have attributed this. They have done this. But if we go back and look in our story, right here at the very end, because here's the fact of the matter, folks. Isaiah tells us this uh, in, in chapter 40-something, that God will not give his glory to another. That's right. He won't give his glory to the other, for you better know it that he ain't going to give it to no devil. Okay? And so this blasphemy is ascribing that, and might I say, the real sin of blasphemy is when you continuously do that, like it's a lifestyle of constantly attributing godly spirit acts to the devil, all right? But in John, let's go back to John. I'm closing. You can stand with me, and that'll help everybody feel real good about me saying what I'm about ready to say. In John, they believe Jesus blasphemes, and they're taking up stones 
Why? Because they've labeled him themselves. See, this is the thinking of them. They have labeled him as having a devil. Yet Jesus claims and does function as God. Thus, they're attributing the working of God's spirit. Jesus, he's working all the spirits of God, but they claim that he's a devil. So they're thinking, this guy, he's blasphemous. We're going to pick up stones. We're going to take care of business. But in reality, that was their thinking, Brother Zach. But in reality, Jesus was attributing the work of God to the man that God indwelt. That God that was in Christ Jesus. He wasn't working outside of his perimeters of what he could do. He was doing everything that he could to try to convince them that he was who he said he was. But the fact of our, the majority of our lesson tonight is about them understanding who their daddy really was. Right? Not who they presumed it would be. Right? But who he really was. That, that this is who you act like. This is who you follow the traits of. We mark off the check boxes here with all the list and the profile of the enemy. And you kind of line up with that more than you do Abraham and more than you do even God. And you're rejecting me and God has it rejected. And so we have all of it. There's just some contradiction here, Jews, that you need to grapple with about who your daddy really is. And there may be someone here tonight. And I'm not trying to be comical, but there may be someone here tonight that needs to grapple with the idea about who your daddy is. And I'm not talking about your flesh and blood. I'm talking about if you'd say, I only have one father, even God. Then start looking at God's word and go through the list about the traits of God, and the attributes of God. And see if you can start seeing those things mirrored in your own life, in your own family, in your own home. Amen? Let's bow our heads here tonight. Father, we need you this evening. God, we need you, oh Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to come to awareness, God, of who, Lord, our Father truly is. God, I pray, Lord, help us to do the works of him, Lord Jesus, who is our Father. Help us to believe. Help us, God, to obey. Help us, O oh Lord Jesus, to follow through. I pray, O oh Lord, today let, let our lives not be a contradiction in terms of a profession on one side, Lord Jesus, and a lack, Lord, in owning up to what we profess on the other. I pray, O oh Lord, today help us, God, have a revelation, Lord, of who you are. Help us to allow, Lord, everything that is in your word. Let that truth abide in us, and likewise let us abide in the truth. I pray, oh God, we need that life, that everlasting life, that perpetuating life. God, that's life more abundantly for God at the end of this life. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.